Brothers and sisters, welcome to this worship this afternoon. What a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to any visitors this afternoon, also those who follow via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Um, the one consistent announcement also this afternoon, Brother Plater will lead the worship service. Before we, sing, before we start, let us sing together hymn 26 verse 1. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Let us rise to worship the Lord. As we come before God, we humbly confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And God greets to you this afternoon, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and let's sing from hymn 3, verses 1 through 3, where we adore God and praise him for his words. Thank you. 
This afternoon we will confess our faith as it is summarized in the Nicene Creed. So let us all say in our hearts as follows, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us men and our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And on the third day he rose according to the scriptures and he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. And we believe one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us now sing in response hymn 3 verses 4 and 5.
Well, since it's only with spiritual eyes that we can behold the glory of God as is revealed in his word, let us now pray to God and ask that he would open our eyes to what is revealed. Let us pray together. Dear faithful and heavenly Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. Through the power of your word and spirit, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this afternoon, uh, we're going to be working through Lord's Day 37, which is about the oath. And in connection with that, we'll read together from Psalm 139, the whole psalm. You'll find that on page 618 of the Church Bible. Psalm 139, and we'll read the whole psalm. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold... O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there... Your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's now sing the verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 139. As it's put to music there in the psalm.
Our confessional reading is uh, Lord's Day 37, which is in connection still with the third commandment where it is commanded us, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold them guiltless who takes his name in vain. And you'll find the, what we confess in the Catechism on page 554 of the Book of Praise. So Lord's Day 37. But may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner? Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's word and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No. A lawful oath is a calling upon God who alone knows the heart to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. We'll now proceed to the proclamation of the gospel and afterwards we'll sing from the same Psalm 139. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, of all the topics to get its own separate Lord's Day, Lord's Day 37 seems like a bit of an odd one. It's about oath-taking. It almost seems a little overboard to us, even maybe out of touch with, with reality. For many of us, swearing an oath happens, and Lord willing, only on a rare occasion, Maybe if we're in a jury or something like that, or even have to testify. And maybe for some of us who are involved in law, maybe this happens more often. But for the most part, it doesn't seem to really be a pressing issue of our day. If, if we were writing the catechism, we probably would spend this Lord's Day maybe on the difference between infant baptism and, and, and adult baptism. Or maybe we would have talked about sexuality, transgenderism, all that sort of stuff. Maybe that's what we would have had if we had a separate Lord's Day. And so to us, it seems like a bit of a non-issue, taking oaths. And yet, at the time of the catechism, it was one of the issues of the time. If we think to the Roman Catholic Church, what you had was, you had people who were ex-Catholics, they were moving out of the Church of Rome, and they were going into Reformed churches, but many of them, they've made these monastic vows, vows of celibacy and, and other vows, and so for them, the question was, what do I do with these vows? Do I not uphold them? And if I, do uphold, and if I don't uphold them, am I somehow bearing God's name in vain? And then you also had in the same context, you had people who were swearing by all kinds of things. They were swearing by the saints. You know, they weren't swearing on their mother's grave, they were swearing on St. Peter's grave. And then in response to all of this, you had a wing of the Reformation, the Anabaptists, who rejected the oath entirely. And they pointed to texts like our, our, what our Lord Jesus says in Matthew when he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. So for them, it was a very important issue. Now although our Lord's Day 37, it reflects what was going on in the, the historical situation 
More importantly, what we see is that it reflects a key scriptural truth about who God is. Our God is a God who loves truth. Our God is a God of truth and justice. And so in His grace, in a world that is post-fall, that is after Genesis 3, that is filled with brokenness and deception and lies, God gives us the oath. We're able to use His name to vouchsafe for us, to prove our innocence. And He does that so we can uphold the truth and we can curtail the lie. And so when truth comes into question, we can say in good conscience, I promise to give the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And so God gives us the oath that we might defend the truth and bear his name. And as his children, God also calls us to reflect him, to walk in the truth and to live it. And that brings us to our message this afternoon. The Lord calls us to walk in the way of truth. And we'll see two things. We'll see the suffering from the rejection of truth And then we'll see struggling to uphold the truth. So firstly then, suffering from the rejection of the truth. Now while we might have our doubts about why this particular topic is in the Lord's Day, in in, in our catechism, we certainly can't deny its relevancy. Our world is filled with lies. Our world is filled with deceit. And if we look into our hearts, we see that our hearts are filled with deceit and lies. And many of us here have have probably suffered from the twisting of the truth and from the rejection of the truth. And Christ tells us that this is indeed the handiwork of Satan. This is what happens when we, we reject God. We are given over to lies and we live in lies. We read that in John 8, 44, Christ says that Satan does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's a liar. He always has been and always will be. And as we heard quite a few Sundays ago, this is Satan's mother tongue. This is just what pours forth from him, lies and deceit. And so what we see is that when man rejects God, that we live like Satan. We live in lies and deception and in falsehood. Now, when we read Psalm 139, maybe the context that comes to mind is, say, an abortion rally or something like that, where we we use this psalm to show the value of human life and human dignity. But what's interesting is the context in Psalm 139 is in the context of the rejection of the truth. In the final verses of the psalm, we see that that David, he moves from praising God for his comprehensive knowledge of, of all things, so he moves from that to almost suddenly a denouncement of evil and, and, um, and his enemies, where he calls God to judge his enemies. We read that there, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. And then he continues, they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. They use your name deceitfully. The word speaks of falsehood. It speaks of twisting the truth. Now we don't know the the context that David wrote this psalm in. We don't know what he was struggling with. But it seems to be that the situation was something like this. David had these enemies who were seeking to destroy his life. 
And in their thirst for blood, they were spreading all these lies and deceit about David and were so bold that they would even use the, the name of God in vain if it meant that it would bring David's destruction, his downfall. And so this is what David is getting at when he says, your enemies take your name in vain. Their hostility and their hatred knew no bounds. They were willing to do whatever it took, even using God's name in vain. If it meant bringing David to destruction. And so nothing stands in their way, not even the truth. And so here we see the situation is the question, who is going to vouch for me? David is saying, who, who will vindicate me? Who will show that I'm innocent? Who will prove my righteousness to these people, to my enemies? And maybe some of us here this afternoon can really sympathize with that question. Maybe like David, you've been suffering from the lie, from the twisting of the truth. Maybe your reputation has been dragged through the mud and, and you're still recovering from that. Or maybe someone's twisted your words and used it against you. Or maybe you're suffering because the truth is simply covered up. Because people are living in lies and they're refusing to acknowledge the truth of what has happened. It seems that all of this is hidden from God and that he's not going to realize it. And so our heart cries out for the truth. Our heart yearns for the truth. We yearn for someone to, to vindicate us, to show our righteousness, to show our innocence when we are suffering from lies and falsehood. And so our heart longs for someone who knows us who really knows the truth about you, who knows and understands you. Well, it's in this context that David takes his comfort in God because there is someone who knows. In a context of where people are spreading lies and deceit about him, even using God's name in vain, he, holds, he, he takes his comfort in the fact that there's one person who knows the truth about him, and that is God. Oh Lord, you have searched me, you have known me. In all David's suffering, in all the falsehood, in all the wickedness, this is the one truth that he knows. God knows him. The Lord, that is the covenant God, Yahweh, who made a relationship with him. He is the one who knows the situation. He knows everything there is to know about David. He knows the ins and outs of his life. We see that he knows a word before it occurs on his mind. We read that in verse 2. He knows the thoughts even before he's... He's, he's, he's uh, thought of them. He knows the course of his life even before he begins walking in that direction. We read that in, in verses 2 and 4. God knows the truth of his situation. And his knowledge is, is so deep, it is, is so intimate that it goes down to every detail of our existence. And this is what we, we know so well, those verses where he talks about God knowing what happens in the womb where God formed us, where we are fearfully and wonderfully made, God has involved even the intricacies of the beginning of life itself, even in the womb. Now for the Israelites, the womb was a mystery. And even if we think of for ourselves, with all the technology that we have, with, with ultrasounds and all the rest, even then it's, it's still a mystery. It's still a testimony of, of God's care and, and of his power. And I'm sure I'll learn a lot more about that in a few weeks. 
So here God says, well, David takes comfort in the fact that God formed him in the womb. For you have formed me in my inward parts. You have knitted me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Our God not only sees into the invisible, but he has access to that and he works there. He is author of that. He operates in that. You could put it this way. The God who searches and knows your heart and mind is the same God who made your heart and mind. He knows each one of us. Our lives are intricately woven. That is a picture that speaks of a tapestry that is woven together. That's how intricately God has put us together. He knows each one of us in that sense. We are so unique. And so this is how complete our God's knowledge is of us. He understands you. He knows the truth about you. And this knowledge that he has is not only of you, but it's of everyone in this world. And so what this means, if we think back to the context, remember David was in a situation where these enemies were spewing forth lies and deceit. And so for him, the comfort came because he knew that God was the God of truth. And that means that because God knows everything, he is most suited to judge. God is more than qualified to act as judge. For he knows the truth. Because he has knowledge of all things, he is able to uphold the truth in justice. You see, an earthly judge cannot look into your heart. It cannot look into your mind. But our God can. God is never someone, is not a God who makes errors simply because he doesn't have enough information. He doesn't make errors at all because he knows it all. If you think about it, Judges, earthly judges, have limitations. You know, they can have a gut feeling that someone is guilty and yet have to let them go because there's not enough evidence. Well, that never happens with our God. Or if you think of situations where judges can be paid off, and there we see where justice is evaded, where the truth is evaded, and the truth is exchanged for the lie. Well, here David takes comfort in the fact that No one can escape God's justice. God knows everything. He sees everything. And he will uphold the truth with justice and with righteousness. Now when we suffer from the the lie and from deceit, this is not something our Savior cannot sympathize with us. If you think of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, think of what happened to him in Jerusalem at his crucifixion, where the rulers of Jerusalem used lies and deceit to destroy our Savior. Think about it, like David's enemies, their hearts were filled with malicious intent against the Christ, against the Anointed One. And their wickedness knew no bounds. Even though they knew that Jesus was innocent, they called forward false witnesses. And that's how they they destroyed him. We read that in Matthew 26. So Jesus, he appears before Caiaphas, the high priest. And then it says there. One moment, sorry. Verse 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. 
Already it shows how much our Savior walked in the truth. And then it continues, though many false witnesses came forward. And then at last, two came forward. And it's on based on their false testimony, based on the fact that they took the name of the Lord in vain with an oath. That is how they destroyed the Savior. Our Savior was crucified because of lies and deception. He suffered and was condemned because people rejected the truth. And so that, that means he knows it. That means he gets it when we suffer because people reject the truth, because people twist the truth in unrighteousness. See, even though Jesus walked the way of the truth, even though he is the truth, he was crucified for a lie. But yet, brothers and sisters, we need someone who's not just someone who can sympathize with us, who can walk alongside us. That isn't a savior. That is part of being a savior. But we need someone who can conquer the lie, who can conquer the wickedness and can triumph over it. And this is exactly what Jesus does. This is what we confessed, when we, what we said together in the Nicene Creed. Christ comes to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. You see, Christ was crucified, he was nailed to a cross, but then he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits in heaven as judge. Christ will judge and he will vindicate his people from all lies and from all falsehood. And he will destroy liars and the wicked. The one who knows the truth will come to judge the world in truth. And this is what Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. He says, therefore, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, falsehood and deceit will not have a, the final say. Christ will come as judge and he will uphold the truth even as he suffered for the lie. And so in that context, we have such a comfort, brothers and sisters. We have a comfort that our Savior suffered as well for the lie. He knows your situation. He knows what it feels like. And that he will triumph ultimately over all lies and deception. But yet we see, as much as we suffer from people who reject the truth or twist it, we also struggle to uphold the truth ourselves. And that brings us to our second point, struggling to uphold the truth. So David continues, he says in the psalm, right at the end there, he says, Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And here, in a sense, he's calling God to testify to his innocence. He's calling God to see his situation and to show his righteousness. All these accusations are untrue. His enemies are spewing forth all these lies. And so he cries out to God to prove his innocence. In a way, this is an oath. In a way, this is an oath. This is one of the saints who rightly use the oath as the catechism says. David is calling God as witness against him. He says, Lord, you know me. You, please, search me, know my heart. You will know that I am innocent. Lord, only you know the real me. You, you know the situation. And therefore, search me and know me. And so that brings us to the, back to the question of our Lord's Day. Here we have David making a kind of oath. And the question of our Lord's Day is, can we rightly swear oaths? 
Can a Christian rightly swear oaths? You see, the Anabaptist wing of the Reformation, they said no. No, we're not allowed to. And that's based on Christ's words in Matthew 5, verse 34, and also James 5, verse 12. So Jesus says, but I swear, say to you, do not swear at all. And then what we read is in James, James echoes the words of Jesus Christ in, in chapter 5, verse 12, when he says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. And so they say, no, a Christian is not allowed to bear an oath. And yet, if you look at the passages, both of the passages are not condemning the oath outright. When Jesus says, don't swear at all, he's speaking about frivolous oaths, the frivolous use of oaths. You see, at the time, you could put it this way. The people of Jesus' day weren't just swearing on their mother's grave. They were swearing on her tombstone. They were swearing on anything else from her. And then more than that, they had all these different levels. So for example, if you sweared by the, the sacrifice on the altar, well then you were more obligated to keep it if you swore by the altar itself. And so there's all these different levels. And depending on what type of oath you swore, then you were more obligated to keep it. And so Jesus, he's in this context and he says, well enough's enough. He says, my father gave us the oath to uphold the truth not to evade the truth, not to try to escape it. And so if you're going to swear like that, don't swear an oath at all. And so that's the context in which our Savior is saying these words. Because Jesus Christ desires that we be people of the truth. If we think about it, an oath shouldn't really be necessary for a Christian. As Christians who believe in Jesus Christ, our speech ought to be such that it's characterized by truthfulness and faithfulness. That when, pe when you say yes, people know that you mean it. And when you say no, people know that you mean it. As we saw last week, God calls us to reflect his character. God calls us to be a reflection of who he is. As he is holy, he calls us to be holy. As he is truth, he calls us to be true. He calls us to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 verse 15. To lay aside all falsehood and deceit. This is who God calls us to be. And yet, and yet, our God graciously gives the oath. And why? Well, congregations, because we live in a broken world. We live in a world full of sin. As the Catechism says, God gives us the oath in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Because he knows even though as people we're called to live in the truth, he knows that sometimes we won't uphold the truth. He knows that sometimes we'll struggle to uphold the truth. There'll be times when two sides are upholding the law when you need an oath to show what is true. God gives us the truth because he knows our hearts. You know, maybe the whole idea of God searching and knowing you is somewhat scary. If I think about it, because if God searches me and knows me, it means that he knows all the times that I didn't speak the truth. And maybe the fact that Jesus Christ is coming in judgment against all falsehood and wickedness is also a scary thought. Why? Because even though we suffer from those who reject the truth, 
It means that Christ is coming to judge. And we know that we ourselves struggle to speak the truth. For on us with ourselves, we're part of the reason why God gives the oath in the first place. We need oaths because we're not people who are of the truth all the time. We struggle to uphold it. We struggle to reflect God, to bear his name in this way. Sometimes we twist the truth. Sometimes we exaggerate it to make ourselves look better. Sometimes we withhold certain aspects so we only say half-truths because it suits us much better. Or sometimes we just blatantly lie because we don't accept the truth. If we think about it, we often use the lie for our advantage. We speak the truth when it works best for us. And if it doesn't work best, well, then we, we twist it. So that means you and me are the reason why God gives us the oath to uphold a truth in a world and in a congregation who struggle to uphold the truth. For we're all sinners. And this is why we need a Savior. Because we're not simply sufferers, are we? We're also sinners in this respect. And if we think of our Savior, Jesus Christ, He was one who upheld the truth. He knew the truth. And what's interesting, he doesn't shy away from using the oath to uphold it. Jesus Christ had an opportunity to twist the truth to his own advantage. It's interesting, if we go to Matthew 26, the high priest calls on him and he says in in Matthew 26, verse uh, verse 63, But Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. I adjure you. That is an oath. I call you to take an oath before the living God. Are you telling the truth? And he could have said no. He could have rejected the truth to save himself. But rather, our Lord spoke the truth even And he upheld it in an oath even when he knew full well that it would cost him his life. And he does that for us, congregation. He does that to cover over all the times when we don't speak the truth. You see, he who is truth was condemned by lies. And this is what our Savior has done for us. But then what's beautiful is that our God also promises to lead us in the way of truth. If we look at Psalm 139, it says in the last verse, And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Because left to ourselves we veer. And so here, David is calling God. He's calling God, lead me in the truth. I know you are a God of truth. You know me, and you will uphold the truth of my life. But lead me so that I might walk in the truth. And this is what Christ does for us. You see, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. And now the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. And so that means that the truth dwells in you. Christ dwells in you. That means that you are empowered to be more Christ-like. Because the truth dwells in you, you will endeavor to speak the truth. You will forsake the lie. You will pursue the way of truth. 
See, this was what God is busy with in our lives. He's leading us in the way of everlasting life, in the way of truth. He is forming us so that Christ, as it says in Galatians 4 verse 9, so that Christ is formed in us. And so that in our battle for the truth, we desire to speak it, to live it, and to love it as God's image bearers. And so congregation, as we end this this message, that this means is this Lord's Day is more relevant than we might think. We live in a world that rejects the truth. We live in a world that twists the truth, that even will stand and use the oath in falsehood. And yet God gives us the oath, not only because we will be in situations where we need the oath to uphold the truth, but also because we ourselves can be people who reject the truth and live in deceit. And it's in this broken context that our gracious God, recognizing our own weaknesses and recognizing our own struggles, that he gives us the oath, as it says in the Catechism, to maintain the truth, to promote the truth, and so that we might live to the glory of God who knows us and who knows the truth and is the truth. Amen. Let us now sing in response Psalm 139, verses 3, 8, and 12.
As we come before God this afternoon, we'll ask God that he will be with our brother Martin Pott as he has a heart operation this week. So we'll pray for our brother that it would go well. And then we'll also pray for those who are continuing to recover from various operations. As well, we'll also pray for our brother John Mahoney. He has, he has moved, and it's a transitional stage that he can come back to, will go to Fairhaven, and our brother is looking forward to that very much. It's been a long journey for him in the hospital, uh, which comes with a lot of loneliness as well, and so we'll pray that God would be with him during this time. Let us come before God in prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you, the God of all truth. For just and true are your ways. Not a single thing you say to us is false. Nor will anything you say to us be found to be false. You are the God who knows truth, and you are the God who is truth. Father, you are not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you should change your mind. Your mind. For you never lie, you never twist the truth, but you uphold it, and you will condemn the lie and falsehood. And Lord, we confess that you know us. There's nothing that we can hide from you, nor is there anything in our life that you're not aware of. Lord, this means that you will prove our innocence when we live truthfully. And it also means that we stand condemned because of the lies and the falsehood that we speak. Father, we, we're not only people who suffer from harm, and from the words that are twisted, but also we inflict it on others by lying and, and living in deceit ourselves. And so, Father, we pray that you would please forgive us for our sins, that you would cover our lies and our deceptions by Christ's truth and his, perf his perfection. Our Lord, and we also pray that you would lead us in the path of truth, that you would dwell in us by the Holy Spirit, that we may be Christ-like, and so that we would be a people who are so truthful that the oath isn't even necessary that we would walk in it, that we'd promote it. Father, we also pray in this regard also for our state. We live in a world full of lies and deceit. We thank you that we have, that you've given to us civil authorities, magistrates, courthouses to promote the truth in a world that is more and more living in rejection of it. We thank you for the lawyers and the judges and other civil authorities who work to bring justice to the oppressed, who seek to expose the lie and who endeavor to maintain peace and in good order. Lord, this is truly your grace to us. This is something that we so often take for granted, but we praise you for those who love the truth and desire to uphold it. Father, we also bring before you the needs of our congregation. We, we think particularly of our, our brother Martin Pont. We pray that you would, you would bless him with the heart operation that he's about to undergo this week. Father, we acknowledge that ultimately he is in your hands. He's not, the situation, the outcome is not in our hands, nor the, is it in the doctor's hands, but it's in yours. And so we pray that you would be with Martin and the family. Lord, may you bless the operation that it would go well for him. And that's, that this would help some of the complications he's had with his heart. And Lord, in it, may he rest secure in the knowledge that you are with him and you will never leave or forsake him. And Father, we also pray for those who are recovering and healing from various operations. Lord, you know their circumstances, you know their situation. Lord, you know where they're at with that, whether they're 
able to go through this with patience and endurance or whether they're getting frustrated or struggling. Lord, you know the situation. We pray that you would continue to be with them and that you would continue to minister them to them not only through the congregation but also through their families, that you would encourage them by your love uh, by the, and the support that we have. May you bless their recovery. Father, we pray too that you would be with our brother John Jansen, that you would bless the treatment that he is receiving. And Lord, may this also mitigate the pain that he is enduring and, and the suffering that he is undergoing as well. Lord, please be with our brother in this respect and watch over him, not only him, but also the family. Lord, we also pray for our brother John Mahoney. We thank you for the news that he is being moved and this is one step closer for him to come to, to Fairhaven. Lord, it's been a long and a, and a lonely journey for him. And there's a longing for him to be with the saints, to, to be here in church, worshiping, or to at least be in the community of believers where he can be encouraged by others who, who love you and seek to serve you. And Father, this is something that we so often take for granted, but when it's taken from us or when our circumstances prevent us from enjoying the communion of saints, Lord, we feel that in profound ways. And we pray that you would watch over our brother. Lord, you are gracious to the afflicted and your eye is on the lonely. And so we pray that you would care for him and uphold him during this time. Lord, please continue to bless the rest of this, this Lord's Day. We thank you that this is the day of our Lord's resurrection and that each, each Sunday we're able to celebrate that, that our Lord lives and that you give us life and you also give us rest. And Father, may our worship here this afternoon be a foretaste of that, that we would taste something of the beauty of the worship that is to come. And that we would lift our eyes to heaven where Christ is, seated at your right hand, in glory and honor, where we will one day join him, worshiping with you, worshiping you with all the saints. We pray all this in his name. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your thank offerings to the Lord. And this afternoon, it's for the collection is for the mission work in P&G. And as you do so, remember the words of Matthew 6, verse 2 to 4, where it says, Jesus says to us, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they will receive their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you. After that, we'll... Sing Psalm 139, verse 13.
Receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.